So let's talk Easter. Man, what was that? That was amazing. Listen, if you remember, uh, leading up to Easter, I, uh, I, I asked you, I said, listen, if, if, we, if we do what we're responsible to do, God will do what God will do, right? And so I asked you, bring people who are far from God, people who need help, hope, encouragement, and that's exactly what many of you did. And so I just want to thank you for partnering with us in that. Uh, we saw just numerically, um, previous to last Easter, we saw... Um, our largest Easter ever. So it's just progressively gotten larger. Last Easter, just, you know, last weekend, we saw 1,500 people more than the previous Easter before that. So it was just an amazing thing. It was awesome. So, so I just want you to understand, too, that that is a situation that is because when we do what we're supposed to do, which is invite people who are far from God, and that's not just something we do at Easter. It's something we can do throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year. Uh, and, and so what was the net effect of that? And for me, Easter is a big opportunity for people to take their first steps toward Christ. And so we had 343 people take first steps towards Jesus last weekend, which is just crazy. Remember, again, we do what we're responsible for, right? We do what we can do. And then we let the outcomes of those things land with God because only God can change a heart. So if you're here and you are one of those 343 people, we're glad you're here. We hope that you take this step today to grow with us. All right, we're starting a new series called um, How to Be Strong, right? What does it look like for us to walk in strength? What does it look like for us as people who are followers of Jesus to be strong in our faith and strong in our witness? It's the witness part that I wanna zero in on right now. For many of us, um, we dissociate the idea of how we act in society with how people view God. And I think we need to put those things back together. We need to realize that how we act in society, how we live in society, our attitudes, our choices, the wisdom by which we live actually has a massive impact on how people see God. So if you and I as Christians are always out in the community, angry, mad, frustrated, they're going to look at God and they're going to see an angry, mad, frustrated God. However, with that said, if we walk around with kindness and strength, they're going to see a kind and strong God. And so today I want to challenge you to really think through some of the ways in which you deal with conflict. Today we're going to be looking at, if we're going to be strong, how do we deal with conflict in a wise way? How do we know when to engage and when not to engage? Now, at the beginning of this, I simply want to say this, that if you are conflict avoidant, you know from experience that conflict avoidance just pushes things down the road and never actually deals with them. So if you avoid conflict at all costs, actually that increases conflict in your life. If you want more drama, avoid the truth. You want more problems in your life, don't tell the truth, okay? However, with that said, there are many of us, because we live in a society that has democratized all of our voices. In other words, we can reach out to anybody. All I have to do is at Tom Cruise, and it's gonna fly off to Tom Cruise somewhere, right? And, and we can do and speak into almost everything. Now, there's some good things about that. It's wonderful to be able to have freedom of expression. That's a wonderful, wonderful gift, without a doubt. However, there's a difference between having the right to do something and exercising that right to do it. There's something different about having the right to do something and the wisdom sometimes to do it. We need to be wise if we're going to be strong. And Paul is dealing with a first century conflict inside the church that deals with the issue of wisdom for us. How do we deal with conflicts right? In our world right now, we write each other off. It's how we deal with problems, which again, is not a dealing with a problem. It's simply avoiding the problem. And so we're going to jump into Romans 14, verse 1. Paul is talking about this conflict, and he says this, to, to just to Christians as a whole. He says, Christians, 
except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Okay, so we're going to come back to this, the faith that is weak, because he's going to define what faith that is weak looks like, and it's going to be really surprising to some of you. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So, so here's, here, here's the thing. There are things that are disputable matters. In other words, they're not black or white. There is, inside the Christian faith, a sometimes painful amount of freedom, meaning that if you are a legalist, you see the world in black and white terms in which you set down rules for every circumstance that you have. The problem with that, and this is what Jesus had the problem with this, is that it creates a lack of trust in God. Now, Paul, on the other hand, doesn't do this. What Paul does is he says, hey, there are certain things that are black and white and clear to us, and then there's a whole lot of other things that are not super black and white. So some people within the church are going to have this opinion, and some people in the church are going to have that opinion. So the question is not whether you have that opinion or this opinion. The question is, how do we deal with it? Because right now, our culture does a terrible job, and we are part of that culture. We do a terrible job of just writing people off. You're in this camp, you're not me. You're in that camp, you're not me. It's problematic for us, for sure. So... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, we're going to bring this in to our passage for Romans and let it interpret part of this. And I just love how direct Paul is. He's talking to young Timothy as a pastor. He says this, Timothy, don't have anything. So he's talking to pastors, and this is part of the job description of a pastor and an elder. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Can I just love, can I just say how, how much I love how direct Paul is? Like if I said to you, hey, don't be stupid, you'd go, that hurt my feelings. It's right here in the Bible. Like it's not, I'm not saying it. So Paul's telling you, don't be dumb, right? Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. So the first thing I want you to see is some arguments are stupid. Like some arguments are just not worth being involved in. Watch this. Because foolish and stupid arguments, because why? Because they produce quarrels. Quarrels are longstanding conflict. So if you engage in foolish and stupid arguments, that will produce long-term problems in a relationship with someone else. So for some of us, in order to reduce the drama in our life and to walk strong in this life, we don't need to engage with uh, stupid arguments because they produce quarrels, long-standing conflicts, right? Watch this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. We go, well, that's cool. That's you, Pastor Mike. That's, that's, that's what it means to be an elder. The Bible says all of us should desire the qualities or the character of an elder. So this is for you as well. You, the Lord's servant, should not be quarrelsome. That means you can't walk around with drama all the time. Listen, if you're, if you're always in conflict and you're always mad and you're always frustrated with some of the people around you, it's you. I love you, but, but, but there's only one problem. It's not everyone else is an idiot. It's you have become quarrelsome right? And the Lord's servant, the Bible says, must not be quarrelsome, and, but instead, watch this, kind to everyone. So that means whether they are your enemy or not, we are to be kind to them. And he says also, uh, elders are to be able to teach, and they must not walk around with resentment in their heart. Now, it's true that we jump into all kinds of conflicts online. We jump into all kinds of conflicts, and we've seen how angry people are in our country. And some of us are just so filled with anxiety because we feel like we should be doing more than what we're doing, but I'm going to actually argue that for many of us, we need to take a step back and realize that wisdom would dictate us disengaging from some of this foolish talk. And if you disengage from this foolish talk, you have more time and space in your heart and in your mind, you have more margin to be able to focus on things that bless your life instead of things that curse your life. Now, watch this. 
There is something, uh, a professor of mine, um, a Harvard guy, um, introduced me to this idea. It was called the cone of certainty. And this cone of certainty is super helpful for you figuring out like what is most important in your life and what should be less important in your life. One of the challenges with our culture today is we have this all mixed up, and it's the reason why we're angry about everything instead of just a few things. Now, anger is not a sin. The Bible just says, in your anger, don't sin. Let's take a look at this diagram. So here's the cone of certainty, right? And the cone of certainty is less certain as it goes down. It is more certain as it goes up, right? And so, so this is me, but you can, you can pop a lot of things up here, right? You can pop... I love my family at the top up here, right? You, I mean, it should be under Jesus as God because God is first among everything, right? But it could be, you know, my family's wonderful. I am uh, smart. You, you put like anything you're certain about, right? Okay, so for me, Jesus is God. Now, what you need to know is the higher these things are on this pyramid for you, the, more, the less likely you are to change your mind about them. In other words, I'm trying to think of somebody who can come in with some evidence to show me that Jesus is not God. I've studied it for, 20, for 30 years. I've looked at it. It's going to be really hard for someone to bring something in where I go, oh, man, I missed that. You know, I didn't catch that one thing. I'm going to change my opinion. So the more certain we are about things, the less likely we are to change them. Makes sense? Now, the less certain we are about things, the more we should be willing to let them go and to change them, right? So let's take a look at these. Jesus is God. I'm not changing my views. Views on salvation, right? Like, for example, you know, are you a Calvinist or Arminian? Sometimes people will, will, will give me the test of this when they walk up to me to decide whether they're going to attend grace or not. So dumb. I mean, it's very important. Um, but, 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 but so I would, I would fall into that category of Calvinist, you know, because I see the, 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 the scriptures through that lens. But do I care if you are one? Not at all. I mean, not even remotely, not even a little bit. Like, I, that's not, a, I'm going to preach Jesus. It's what I do, right? So views of salvation, they're important to me, but they're not all that important to me. Views on baptism, even less important. Like, so, so sprinkling or dunking, right? Or, or hosing. Like, like, like what, is, what is most important right there? Most important is be baptized, the Bible says. It doesn't tell us the mode of transmission. Churches all over the world have differences of opinion on this. Watch this. This is what's bummer about it. But... Many churches that have these differences of opinion slam on each other all the time. There's no reason for it whatsoever, right? You, you go down here, like, watch this. This is amazing. I am more confident of the best college football team than I am in end times theology. <laughs> True story. True story. And this is super important, right? My father-in-law um, was an end times theology scholar guy. I loved it. He's, he's dead now, so I can make fun of him. And, uh, but, but, but just kidding. Wow. <laughs> Calm down, Judgy Judgerson. Okay, so, so, so he was a guy, I loved him with all my heart. He's wonderful. We couldn't really talk about this stuff because he had all this certainty about it. And when I studied eschatology, future end time stuff, in seminary, I came to a one very serious conclusion, and that is nobody knows what the heck they're talking about when it comes to end times theology, right? There's very, very few cogent and coherent things about this. So if you come to me and you say, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a... I'm a premillennialist, or I'm post-mill, or whatever. Like, I'm just going to be like, cool, great. I have no dog in that race at all. Like, no horse in that race at all. Like, nothing. It's fine. But here's the problem. And this is where, like, Christians get all messed up in this. If you take the things at the top, and you act like they're the things at the bottom, your faith can be destroyed. Churches all over the country take out every once in a while this Jesus is God thing, and they go, let's examine this. Let's think about this again. Is this really true for today as well? And many of them have walked away going, no, it's not really true anymore. But that right there, that Jesus is God thing, 
That's what actually makes you Christian. Not being nice. Because if that were the case, most of us are not going to heaven. Right? But the fact that Jesus is God, that's what gets us to heaven. So when you're way up here, you need to know these things are really important to me, and I can't shift my belief in them. But when you take things from the top and you put them on the bottom, that's problematic for your faith. But watch this. When you take things on the bottom and you lift them up to the top, that's problematic. I watched this thing. I can talk about it now because we're like two years you know, past some of this, right? During COVID, the church went nuts. It did. One of the big nutty things was end times theology, right? There was a large portion of the church that took on this QAnon stuff. If you don't know what that is, I don't even want you to go look it up, okay? Just tune out, okay? But they took on this QAnon stuff, right? This conspiracy theory, crazy drama. And it was based on this one type of end times theology. Did you know there's multiple types of end times theology? It was based on this one type of end times theology that started 100 years ago, of which 1,900 years of church history knew nothing about. And they blew this up into all of these conspiracies, and it was all over the place. And it was so discouraging as a pastor to look at that and watch that because it was filled, there's not up here anymore, stupid arguments. That people were just running around. What would happen there? We took really things that are not clear and not certain, and we elevated them and said, these are the most important things. We can't do that. Hey, be forthright in what is most important and take your hands off of everything else. It's not that important. The Lord will work those things out. You don't need to divide over baptism. You don't need to divide whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminian. It's not what we do. Why? Because the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. And that's you. That's me. So here's a, here's a principle to just kind of help you on your day-to-day life. Like, how do I know when to speak into things? By the way, this is the reason why Grace doesn't talk about politics. Every once in a while, people come to me and they go, Pastor Mike, why don't we talk more about stuff in the news? And the reason for that is because my voice is reserved for the scriptures, period. Like, that's how I'm going to bless your life, okay? It's not jumping into what's going on in this part of the world, that part of the world, or what's happening. Like, I have opinions, but my voice is reserved for the scriptures, right? And, 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 and so I don't speak into those things. But really, let's just, let's just give an example, right? If, you know, we've got two parties, essentially, in, the, in, the, in, in our world. Now, I'm not of either one of them, just so you know. Okay? Now, it's important for you to understand that, right? Because here's the thing. Like, if I just chose one side and said, here's my evidence for why this is right, would many of you on the other side choose to say, oh, that's right. Yeah. I was completely wrong in my party. No. Do you know why? Because you've taken these things at the bottom of the list and you put them way up high. Right? And what's happened is you won't change your mind on anything. And I'm not going to spend my time trying to change your mind on foolish and stupid arguments. Look at what it says right here. So here's the principle. We speak into an argument only when we believe it will help. We could just end right there. Only when we believe it help someone take their next step toward Christ. So, so if I believe that as somebody's having a conflict, if I believe I can come in and I can share a beautiful picture of Jesus for that person, and that may help them take one step, and that's all it takes sometimes, one step. I had a lady um, pull me aside and she said, man, my Grand, my mother came to church for the first time. Like on Easter, like she came first time to like a Protestant church. She said, I just, you know, I, I'm not sure about all that other stuff, but that pastor, you can't deny that guy, right? And she just said, it was pretty good. Pretty good? 
that was, I was pretty good. Like that's, I, that's awesome. You know why? Because like, she's like way over here and all it required was her to just take one little step. That's a giant win. If you can help someone take one little step of seeing Jesus just a little bit more clearly, it's a giant step. Just taking communion last night. I was serving communion last night with people. A guy walks up, he takes it. He goes, he was an older guy. He says, first time in 30 years. I mean, come on. That is what we do. We do the important things, not the less important things. So, so what happens if people don't listen to you when you say the important things? Matthew 10, 14, Jesus speaking here, he says this. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home and take and shake the dust off your feet. What does that mean? It's just, a, it was an Old Testament way of saying, I'm done with you. Like, I, I, like, like if you're not gonna listen, that's fine. I'm not gonna, and, and I'll just flip it around a little bit because I think there's a problem internally in some of us because we need to get our opinion out there, right? We don't need to get our opinion out there on everything, okay? Some of you have, have mistaken, and this is why I'm always saying, my message will be good, but Jesus changes the heart. There's a difference between cause and effect here. Like, I, we're gonna do everything we can do, right? But then the effect is Jesus. So when you're talking to your kids, or you're talking to your husband or your wife or your coworkers about Jesus. And they're just like, I want nothing to do with that. That's not on you because you did a bad presentation. The Lord is working in that person's heart. You don't need to control that circumstance. You need to be faithful in that circumstance. And when you are faithful, you can have a heart that says, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm not going to get stuck in this situation. In fact, Proverbs 26.4 says it like this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. I love that. Another verse uh, in, in Proverbs says, hey, don't argue with a fool. Someone walking by may not know the difference. I love that. I love that. I'm just like, yeah, that's right. So when you're being talking with foolish people, it takes on the flavor of the foolish person. But we sometimes, I think, we feel like we have to speak into every situation so my son, who is pre- preparing and studying for ministry, uh, he's just like me. He um, loves philosophy books, and he's reading about Greeks, and he was talking to me about that. And he said, hey, listen, um, you know, in our world today, when it comes to expression of self, he said, like, masculinity is that which conquers, right? That's our culture's thing. You know, just turn on any television show, any movie, and it's a sexual conquest, you know? Like you're more virile and powerful if you do that. It's, it's about taking everything inside you and just spilling it out into the world, right? That's what we value as a culture. But he said the Greeks were really different. He said the Greeks are, uh, were people who basically said masculinity and strength were all about self-restraint. For them, it was about holding on to what was most important and restraining everything else. And I thought that's exactly what the Bible talks about when it talks about um, humility. In order to be humble, you have to be strong because the definition of humility is power that's restrained. Power that's restrained. We don't need to put our opinion out there about everything in the world. We need to hold our opinion for just certain moments. And when we speak, as the Bible says, we should speak with someone who's we should speak as someone who speaks the very words of God. We have people, I have people like that in my life. Actually, there's one sitting right there. His name is Jim. And when Jim's in a meeting, he's quiet the whole time. And then he speaks. And then we're like, yeah, we should do what Jim said, right? And the reason, and the reason for that is he doesn't talk all the time. Like he's not giving his opinion about everything. But there's wisdom there. 
And I think sometimes for us, we need to like turn back around and realize this like self-expressionistic culture that we have where I have to say everything actually damages them and me. Instead, maybe, 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 what we do is we demonstrate our strength by holding back. Romans 14.1 again, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. Watch this, watch this. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. See, you weak vegetarian and vegans. I'm telling you right now, you're all braggy. I don't eat this. You know, Paul's like, all right, your faith is weak. Um, I'm just kidding. There's a context to this that will make it make more sense. So here's what's happening right now. Paul is arguing, um, or Paul, two groups of people inside the church are arguing, and Paul's mediating between them, right? And there's this one group of people over here, and this group over here basically says, we're not going to eat meat. Why? Because the practice of the day was that a lot of the meat was sacrificed to false gods, demons, to false gods, and, and what would happen then, after it's been consecrated, used through a religious ritual, it was brought to market, and then we'd sell it, right? So Christians were going in, and they were buying this meat, right? And some of them were buying it going, this is awesome meat. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. We're going to do it. And then there was another group that goes, no, 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 you can't buy that meat, right? And this is the one he's talking about, because they only eat vegetables, right? We're not going to eat this meat. Why? Because number one, it's been consecrated to a false god. Number two, the money that we spend on this goes directly to the people who serve the false god. So in, for some of you, you go, that's very sensible. Like, that's your personality. You're like, that's very sensible. It makes sense. The other group of people over here are like, look. And, and part of the reason why they uh, did not want to eat the meat also was they felt like the meat was contaminated with some bad juju and would end up, like, hurting them down the road, right? These guys, on the other hand, are way over here. This is where I would be. I'm going to eat the meat right? And so, and so they're looking at these guys going, you just can't make up rules like that. You know, like that's just, there's no juju here on this meat. Stop being, uh, you know, superficial and stop being superstitious. What's wrong with you guys? Well, you still have the money issue. And the problem with the money issue for, for them, and I think this is part of why Paul looks at this and says this is weakness, is whenever you find legalism, rules around things that the Bible doesn't tell us about, we end up actually um, not being consistent with those rules. Like, like, for example, I'm wearing a shirt that's an untuck it shirt, right? You can always tell because of these little things right here, right? Untuck it shirt. It's just a shirt I got off the internet, right? I have no idea if this shirt was produced by child labor in Indonesia. I have no idea. Like, do you know? You legitimately did not go into the store and then, you know, look it up. And actually, somebody looked it up for me in the second, in, in the second service last night. They're like, you're good. They're against all that stuff. I was like, oh, good. I really like their shirts. So, so, so but, but it was one of those things, like, we can't do that. Like, I can't look back. At, so these guys over here are going, the money that goes to that, like, we can't, we're not, like, on an island. We have to do commerce with everybody. It's impossible to trace all these things back. So you have these legalists. You have these maybe antinomians over here, and Paul is looking at them both, and this is what he says. Go back to the, go to the next verse. Strong faith, this is the principle, rather. Strong faith realizes that most things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. This is true for us. There is sometimes in our faith a comfort, an uncomfortable amount of freedom. Like, there's all kinds of things that you can choose. And very seldomly, even when you're choosing a wicked thing, does God step between you and that wicked thing and say, I'm not letting you do that. Occasionally, because he loves us and he knows it'll be so damaging, he does that. He sends someone else. He orchestrates circumstances. But sometimes he allows us to make choices in our life that are hurtful to us 
because they're not very beneficial to us, realizing that we'll learn from the pain and the structure and the hardship, right? So, but for us, if we're going to be strong, strong faith realizes that most things are permissible. Like, I have the freedom to speak in anything. If the news comes and says, hey, what do you think about this big political thing? I have the freedom to jump on there and go, yeah, this is what I think about it, and I think blah, 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 right? There's no one here that's going to stop me from doing that. This is a rule, the, the, the no politics thing that I came up with, right? And, but yet, at the same time, I'm going to look at that and go, I'm permitted to do this, but is it beneficial for the congregation, and is it beneficial for my family, and is it beneficial for me? And the answer is no. That's what a conclusion I've come to. Other pastors come to other conclusions, even though I legitimately think they shouldn't. I don't think any pastor should speak into that. Verse three, the one who eats everything has strong faith. They must not treat with contempt the one who does not. So these guys over here, what, what we can do is look at the legalist and go, you guys are so dumb. Stop being superstitious. We can't tear apart a character of somebody who is legalistic simply because they have a conscience that is more tender and weaker than someone else's. And then it turns back around. It says, watch this. It says, we can't treat them with contempt. The one who does not have weak faith and the one who does not eat everything, weak faith, must not judge the one who does have strong faith for God has accepted them. So the legalist can't turn back around and go, you're not following our rules. Therefore, you're not a good Christian. You can't judge or condemn in that situation. But the reason why is because right here, Paul says, these people and these people have all been accepted by God. And if they are acceptable to God, then they must be acceptable to each of us. We can't reject what God has accepted. So inside the church, there will be disagreements among us. The question is, how do we not cancel each other and walk out? That is not strength. That's weakness. You have to work through the circumstances that cause you conflict. It was really amazing. Uh, there was a giant marketing fail. Right after, Easter, uh, <laughs> right after Easter, Kelly and I went to a local hotel and stayed there for a couple of days just to kind of decompress and uh, uh, brought our kids, and, or at least one of them. Um, the, you know, no, oh, never mind. And uh, <laughs> never mind, I was going to make a joke. Um, but we were there, and this, this giant marketing fail. They had the Humane Society that was there, you know, and these guys are so tender and sweet. They're all walking around with dogs, just stroking their dog. You know, just, it was beautiful, actually, a really nice group of people. And then, and so they were in one ballroom, and then the next ballroom, they're having a citywide barbecue. True story, true story. Like, they're having a giant city. The, the people from the SBCA, they were so mad about it. They're like, I can't believe they put us next to these carnivores. You know, and it was just anger about what they were eating. And then the carnivores, you could tell because they got wind of this. I'm sure a couple of people had words in disputable matters, right? And they went back and forth because you could kind of see these guys just eating their barbecue right in front of everybody, you know, just you're not going to tell me what to do. But is that wise, Right? So, so how should we think about ourselves? We talked about how we deal with other people, but what about ourselves? This is Paul's very, very radical thoughts about himself, and I think they are so beautiful, and we have something to learn here. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says this, Now it is required, required, not optional, required, that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I've been given the trust of the temporary leadership of this church. It's temporary, right? And I must prove faithful in doing that. You have to prove faithful in being a mom, a dad, a business owner, an employer, an employee. Whatever God has entrusted you with in your life, you must tr- prove to be faithful. And as you have proved to be faithful as best as you possibly can, watch what he says. Watch what he says. I carry very little. Sounds hard. I care very little if I'm judged by you, and you should have the same thing, to others. 
So we don't walk around constantly saying, am I liked by everyone else? Does everyone approve of what I think and how I act, right? That's not, that's not what we're doing here, right? I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any other human court. Indeed, this is so crazy. I don't even judge myself, Paul says. And the reason for it, he says, is really clear in verse four. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who judges me. At the end of the day, Paul recognizes that he stands before an audience of one. So do you guys. You need to wake up every morning and say, Father, how do I please you today? It's not, how do I please my mom? How do I please my dad? How do I please my pastor? How do I please my boss? How do I please those people? No, no. How do I wake up every day and say, God, how do I please you? And we've already learned a couple of those things. Number one, we please him by being a good witness in the world around us, by honoring people, being kind to them, right? But he says this, look, some of you, you look at stuff like this and you go, this is just a bunch of, you know, weak, you know, stuff. He says, my conscience is clear. I don't have any problems with this, but that doesn't make me innocent. Sometimes a clear conscience is not an indication of moral rightness. It can be an indication of a hard heart. And so I think for all of us, like we would be wise in being able to look at ourselves and go, hey, is my clear conscience here a matter of hardness of heart? Have I hardened myself to the truth of God? But if we know that we stand before an audience of one that one day we will be judged by, that God himself will look and examine all of our deeds and all the things that we've done and say, I want to wake up every day and say, God, how do I honor you? I know I'm not going to do it perfect. I know I'm going to fail today. But Lord, my intention of my heart right now is to honor you. How can I do that? Show me how I can honor other people. How do I do that, Father? So there is a principle that I just want to like give to you. It's like, this is a little gift. It's something I came up with a long time ago. Time and truth run hand in hand. I've taught my children this. I've taught my wife this when we first met. And it's like this. Every once in a while, you're going to find yourself in conflict, right? And either someone or a group of someones are going to look at you and they're going to think bad things about you. They might even think that you've done something wrong when you haven't actually done anything wrong. And you might actually have some consequences that relate to that thing. But here's what you need to know. Over time, as your character continues to unfold in front of people, right? If you are the same way on the inside as you are on the outside, right? We're, we're consistent. As time unfolds over a period of time, your character will be seen for who you are. And the truth about yourself and the circumstances will eventually come clear to everyone. You need to know that not everybody will come back and say, I'm sorry for how I treated you back then. But because we are standing for an audience of one, we don't need that. But it is a beautiful truth that as you live consistently and faithfully before everyone else, people will look at you and go, she is an amazing person. And the next time someone says, hey, this is a big problem, you're gonna go, that's not her at all. You don't know her. She's been faithful. I've been an elder in the city of Orlando for 25 years. 25 years. And I've had the opportunity to walk out a consistent, faithful walk. And there've been times when people said things and then other times people said other things. And over time, the beautiful thing that's happened is God has fixed all of those circumstances from the past, right? You need to know that sometimes conflict cannot be resolved in the moment. Conflict cannot be resolved in the moment. You sometimes have to lose in the moment in order to win in the long run. But that, friends, is exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. He lost on Friday. We call it Good Friday. It was not good at all for them. 
he went to the grave. He died. And when he died, everyone thought, ha ha, what a fool. Satan thought, I won. But on the third day, he was raised again because his character would not allow him to stay in the grave. He was the sinless, perfect son of God. Here's how this ends. Verse 14. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. I want to give you, like, separate two ideas, divorce two ideas out here, because I think these get confused in people's minds all the time. The difference between judgment and judgmentalism. These two things get confused all the time. And if you get these things wrong, you will have more drama in your life. So what is judgment? Judgment is an absolute moral imperative in your life. You absolutely have to have judgment. Judgment is clear, concise thinking in a truthful way. Clear, concise thinking in a truthful way. Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say that we're driving down the road together, 70 miles an hour. That's the, that's the maximum national speed limit. And as we're driving down the road, 70 miles an hour, somebody comes flying by us about 95 miles an hour, right? Judgment would say that person is in excess of the law and they're breaking the law. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because it is a true and clear picture of reality. You have to have a true and clear picture of reality. Judgmentalism is, so this is necessary. This is outlawed in scripture. The Bible does not endorse this in any way, shape, or form. Judgmentalism would be that same guy drives by and I go, what an idiot, what a moron. Can you believe that guy? What a jerk. The difference between the two things are, this may actually be true, but it's an assassination on the character of a person. And the Bible says we're never allowed to do that. But what we can do is say, you're wrong. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. At the end, Psalm 37.5, commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. And he will help you. There is sometimes an unfortunate amount of freedom inside the Christian faith. You cannot set rules around everything. Sometimes it comes down to, I'm trying to do my best here in the Lord, trying to make a wise decision. I commit everything that I'm doing right now to your hands. I trust you and God will come and help. Amen? Amen. Father, we... uh, We come before you right now realizing that none of us have done this well, but Lord, we want actually to have the the world around us see you in a good light. We never want to be the obstacle from a person coming into a relationship with you. So Lord, forgive us when we've been angry and we've been, we've, we've taken disputable matters and pulled them way up the pyramid to the top and said they're really important when they're really not. So that's caused more drama in our life, more problems. We have been contentious people sometimes. But Lord, we don't want to be. Actually, what we really want to be is people who are concise and clear about what is true. And at the same time, Lord, we want to be a person who is kind and loving to everybody else around us. Because we know, God, as we treat the people around us, so goes their view of you. And you've given us the temporary stewardship over your reputation. And we, God, we want to let your reputation shine in our lives, not be darkened by it. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to be strong. It's in your name we pray, amen.